What's up, everybody? It's LG Set here. Today is Monday, November 1st, 2021. Welcome to the First Mint, a podcast where I talk about marketplace trends, big sales, and everything going on in the world of NFTs. We are at NFT NYC this week, and we may or may not be a little less responsive than usual. Either way, we've prepared some programming that kind of relates to NFT NYC, and otherwise our programming might be a little bit different this week as the N. NFT world descends on New York and focuses on all the stuff going on there. Today, we have an interview with Patricio, the CEO and founder of POAP, which if you came to First Mint Fest, you definitely remember POAP. It was a good time. We made you guys run around and collect them, making you watch all the streams and really have fun getting to know what that protocol is. We are also sponsoring at the First Mint the POAP treasure hunt this week in New York. So we wanted to have Patricio on to kind of explain the history of POAP, his history in the world of NFTs, and then also give us a preview of what to expect at NFT NYC because there are over 15 POAPs, I think, to collect there, including some that you can earn to enter a grand prize to win a bunch of really awesome NFTs. If you're not in New York this week, well, I say get ready for your Twitter feed and your discords to get full of stories and pictures from there. And if you're not there, we don't get a chance to meet in person. Well, hopefully we'll see you at the next one. There is another NFT conference in Vegas in March. So hope you can make it out to that. I want to remind everybody here that nothing on the show constitutes trading advice and that we're affiliated with a bunch of different NFT companies. So it's hard to keep track. This is the first one. Ladies and gentlemen of the First Mint, we have a very special treat for you today. The first day of NFT NYC, we have the man behind the protocol that is going to send you all over New York City this week, Patricio Worthalter, the CEO of POAP. Sir, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Hello, Luke. It's my honor. <laughs> well, we're both honored, um, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about today so we can get right into it. Um, we always like to start with the origin story here, Patricio, of like, we want to know for you, when did you first uh, either discover crypto and then even just NFTs? When did that happen for you? Um, it's a crazy story. Nonetheless, it's a typical crypto story still somehow. So I am from Buenos Aires, which is the capital city of Argentina. And for most of my uh, adulthood, uh, Argentina had capital controls, meaning that citizens of Argentina are not allowed to buy foreign currency. Uh, moving money out of the country is extremely tough. And Bitcoin was a thing very early on. Uh, Bitcoin had in Argentina the most product market fit it ever had at the time. So around mm, 2011, I heard of it. Um, my friends were really excited, they were mining, they were doing all the typical things you do with crypto. And in 2011, there weren't many. You just get crypto, maybe you try to buy something, but it was really tough. Um, and I kind of dismissed it. And I'm quite sorry that I dismissed it, but I also understand the reasons. Like in 2011, the infrastructure, the wallets, the tooling, it was all too hard. And I was a tech person, um, I was running a business infrastructure support, um, IT infrastructure support. And I was supposed to understand these kind of things, but it was still too obscure. Uh, private keys, encryption, the idea that you could lose your money anytime. So I heard of Bitcoin in 2011 and I dismissed it. And it was only in 2014 
that I got the first Bitcoin on my hands. And it's not because I made the decision to have Bitcoin. It was um, because a company that we were providing services to um, had one of these ransomware viruses that uh, encrypted your data and then they demanded you pay out in crypto. So this company comes to us and they were like, how can we solve this? I went to the Bitcoin embassy in Buenos Aires. Um, the, the Bitcoin community in Buenos Aires was so active that they had a building of their own. That it was a, yeah, it was a co-working space. That had what like, is a hold on? What is a Bitcoin embassy? Uh, <laughs> what it, is that? It, it was a quite cool building downtown, like in the financial mm -hmm. district. It was somewhat run down, but still good. And there were like 20 crypto companies doing different things. And, and you could see crypto flowing around left and right constantly. So, so it was great that that existed. It was great that it was nearby my office. So yeah, I, I visited the Bitcoin embassy and I was fascinated because in 2014 there were wallets and people were really helpful. And not only it wasn't obscure, it was that magical moment that this technology is transformative. So it was in 2014 when I finally got the enlightenment and, and I decided this is what I want to do. And next year, I heard of Ethereum. <clears throat> I didn't understand what it was, um, but I still got some illusion. And I acquired the feeling that it was something that we could build together, this permissionless innovation thing. So it is in 2015 that I became a full-time crypto person. And then did you, did you then leave the firm you were working with, or I guess it was your firm in 2014? Like, does that... Because for me, when the it, it, I got into this mainly because of the pandemic and I didn't have much work uh, as usual. So for you, was it an immediate like light switch where you're like, okay, I'm going to shut down this other business and I'm just going to go full time crypto in 2015? Um, I think what I felt <clears throat> it's a perfect depiction of what we they, these days we call FOMO. Um, I, I was spending my time working on this company that made some money, but not too much. Like it barely made any money. And I saw things popping up in crypto and, and really cool stuff and conferences that I couldn't attend. So I, I, it was a quickly, a steeply growing curve of FOMO. And at a point I was like, I can't keep uh, wasting my most productive years, uh, the years I am the sharpest I'm ever going to be because I was like 27 or 28. And I, at a point I accelerated the switch and I left the company to the employees. Like, like it was really hard to sell the company because the company was only worth its revenue. Um, but I, I somehow managed to make the switch and, and I went full-time crypto. And it is fun because eventually the people that were in the company also became crypto people too. Like, like <laughs> it, was, it was a huge wave coming. And, and if you were paying attention, it wasn't anything to miss. And what did you do at first then in the crypto space? Uh, I do what most of us do, which was mostly trying to make money out of it. And <laughs> I started buying and selling things. Didn't understand what they were. Didn't understand what I was doing. It was the, the fir my first two years in crypto, 2015 and 2017. It was all about acquiring knowledge. It was really hard in, in 15 getting high quality information resources wasn't so easy. My English wasn't, uh, wasn't as good as, I, as it was needed. So the first two years were mostly pain trying to understand something. What was good is that although I knew that I didn't know anything, prices were coming up. So things were chill somehow. Yeah. 
So, so, yeah, so, that, always, that, that always helps when you don't know what you're doing, but the number, go, the number goes up. Yeah, and, and by the time the number not only stopped going up, but it came down quickly in 2018, oh, I already yeah. had some knowledge and, and I could cope better with it. Like, like I had already came to terms that the price were ridiculous given the state of the tech. If you had not discovered, and I do, I, I do want to dive deeper into, into crypto and obviously POAP, but if you had not gotten that contract working on the ransomware and you had never discovered crypto, what do you think you would be doing right now if you weren't working in uh, this space? So, so I had a very sharp inclination to tech and, and to innovative tech. So let's say that crypto wasn't a thing. I see myself either doing AI or rocket science or, or the things that are exciting these days. I don't think either AI or rocket science are nearly as exciting as crypto, but assuming that crypto didn't exist, I wasn't going to be a farmer. I wasn't, uh, it's not that I have a dream career that I couldn't pursue because crypto has sucked my life. I was a tech person from early on. Um, I found myself with a screwdriver when I had four years old trying to disassemble radios or whatever I could get my hands into. So for sure I was going to be doing something tech. Um, but crypto was, uh, was a nice match for my personality because I had some obsessive tendencies to do plenty of things at the same time and multitasking a lot. And crypto is a lot about multitasking because if you are fully focused, you are missing almost everything. So, so for me, crypto was a match made in heaven. In what way would you say it kind of changed your life? Um, it radically changed my life. I, I had a pretty well-established life prior to crypto with my friends, my hobbies, my habits, and almost all of it had disappeared now. Uh, crypto had made me reinvent my lifestyle from my place of living. Like prior to crypto, I barely traveled abroad from Argentina. Um, from crypto, I've been maybe on 70 countries already. Um, most of my friends don't live on a single place. Most of the times I do, most of the uh, things I do with my energy and resources are related to crypto. So it's been a dramatical change. I am happy with how it went. I do feel like my lifestyle is much more satisfying and fulfilling than what it was. Uh, not only because of the financial comfort, which had played a big part, but intellectually, I had felt over the years that I was doing what I wanted with my life. And that wasn't so much the case when I was running this small business, fixing computers for businesses. Where, what do you mean your friends are all over the place? Like who, who in the crypto space, you don't have to name names, but like what types of people are your friends in this space and where are they, what do they do? Um, so we had something, and, and this is pretty close to why and how Pop started. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we had this thing called the conference circuit, and, and in this circuit, there were some somewhat set places and locations in the calendar on which you knew that you were going to see the most active Ethereum community members. And, and this circuit had between 100 and 500 people, and, and the calendar was pretty well set. So it ended up happening that we all made friends and, and maybe with some of these friends, let's say in between 2016 and 19, we've seen each other 20 to 40 times, never on our home countries. Um, so that's how it happened. It's quite crazy, but it's been really nice. 
<laughs> it's kind of like the evolution of like being a young person traveling where you might make friends and then meet up with them in different places at like hostels and stuff. But instead it's like work and it's crypto and you make money and build businesses. <laughs> and Ethereum had this shelling point, which was we were all after the same things. We were building the same things or using the same tech. It wasn't just so much hanging out. There were reasons for us to keep meeting and to keep doubling down on the friendship. That, that, that's, that's something good to mention. It's like not only they are the casual relationships you could do if you are on a hostel or something. This was somewhat serious business. Uh, at a point, we were discussing life-changing technology or life-changing investments or radically helping someone build something. It was, it was a huge sense of cooperation on the community at those times. So it's, it wasn't just friendships, as you can imagine. It was a global collective of people that were under the same, uh, uh, under the same purposes. And this still exists. Um, there's a new brief. Most of us, people doing this in 2016, 17, are no longer doing it for different reasons. But there's a new cohort, and they are all now, well, either in NFT NYC or in the conference that's going to come or in the conference that had passed. So that new cohort, like that's actually what I'm curious for somebody who's been in it for so long as you have, and you know, you know so many people in the space. When in this current like wave of adoption, when did things really start to change in terms of either new people or new money or just uh, interest? It has expanded a lot lately because in the past, let's say in 16, 17, the way this was, it was like you were a crypto person and if you were full-time crypto, you had the ability to have a superficial understanding of what was going on in Bitcoin, what was going on in Ethereum, and what was going on on new platforms and new things coming. And you could be like that and have a mm, sustainable lifestyle. As the ecosystem started to expand, and we have seen new consensus models, new protocols, new applications, mainstream adoption, we all had to narrow down our focus of attention because it was no longer possible to, to be on DeFi and on NFTs and on consumer and top shots. Even between these niches, it kind of became impossible to be fully focused on more than one. Like if you are on DeFi, you likely don't know anything about NFTs. Even if you are into NFTs, maybe you are into the OG NFTs like CryptoPunks and uh, Mooncats and things like that. And it's likely that you are missing everything on the newer blockchains. Or if you are in NFTs, but you are in the flow ecosystem, you are missing what's happening on the WAX ecosystem or on the Ethereum ecosystem. So the main difference from early on to these days is that we all have to specialize because it's no longer possible to be a generalist that has a minimum understanding of what's going on everywhere. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, it has it has changed so much. Let's chat. Let's let's use that to dive into Poap. So I'd love to hear, you know, what the inspiration was behind Poap, how it got started. It is fun too, um, because it got started for the wrong reasons. Um, all, all venture capitalists and business people will tell you that if you have a solution and you're looking for a problem, you are doing this wrong, because that's not how you find product market fit. But it is what what Poop has started in 2018, on when, when the market crashed, both Bitcoin and Ether and all crypto assets were really down, and the sentiment was really depressing. Um, the Bitcoin media conglomerate, Coindesk, Cointelegraph, and some influencers 
had pushed, had successfully pushed the narrative that Bitcoin was the king of crypto assets and it was the only asset that made sense and everything else was going to disappear, was going to zero because they were experiments that weren't going anywhere. And the market was kind of validating that view. The price of Bitcoin was recovering while the price of Ether kept bleeding and bleeding and the, the researchers of Ethereum were somewhat behind of a schedule and, and delivery wasn't happening. So it was all really bad. And also these, these Bitcoin communities and some other aggressive communities to Ethereum were making fun of us because the ICO bubble had brought hundreds of millions of dollars to the ecosystem for building things. And it turned out that most of them were blatant scams. Like, like there were companies raising $100 million for a mobile phone and it never existed and prediction markets and decentralized computation. And it was all bullshit. I'm sorry, I don't know if you curse on, the, on this podca podcast, but... <laughs> no, we do curse on this podcast and it's something that we're very aware of right now because a lot of people compare the current NFT market to the shitcoin market from, from three years ago. Well, the, the, this so, might be a good comparison. It, so I tell you how it yeah. felt and how it ended up going. Um, yeah, we want to hear this. this. Is what I'm saying. We want to hear this story. So it was the whole Ethereum space was full of bullshit. 99% of the block space was being used by shitcoin buying and selling, like, like ERC20s that weren't going to go anywhere and that these days that no longer exist for the most part. So these critical people, these aggressive people had a point. They had a point that Ethereum wasn't solving any real world problem. It's been live for three and a half years. It was full of promises and it was all a disaster. And they were making fun of Vitalik because there were early conferences of Vitalik where he was promising things that were going to be built and they weren't anywhere near. So with some friends of this circuit that we were firmly believers on the power and the ability of Ethereum to be disruptive technology, we said we need to make a DAP, a decentralized application that proves all these people wrong, that makes something that you cannot do with Bitcoin or any other technology that people want to do in real life. So, so they see that Ethereum is actually viable tech that makes sense and they don't have a point when they say that this is going to zero. So, so we, we were a solution looking for a problem because what our solution was, it was a programmable blockchain, which is Ethereum, that had these fascinating capacities of running smart contracts permissionlessly. So we started brainstorming, what can we build? And on the brainstorming process, we say, well, what things we know Ethereum do well. And the first thing that comes to mind is tokens. It's something that clearly Ethereum has done well because people freaking love, to to love tokens. What else, that we, what else does it have? And it's, well, it does have smart contracts, it has immutability, it has uh, all these qualities. And because we were traveling from conference to conferences, we say, why don't we build a Foursquare-like system? Foursquare was a checking-based social network. So every time you go to a conference or to an event, you get a non-fungible token, and non-fungible tokens were primitive technology that was barely launched a couple months ago. And this proves that you get these check-ins, instead of being records on a database of a Silicon Valley company, like Foursquare, they are non-fungible tokens that you have self-custody of. So, so that was how the idea came to mind. And it went pretty well, as you know. 
<laughs> so you're telling me POAP, you guys came up with it as a way to battle the, you know, ETH is useless, Ethereum is useless, narrative has no utility from the Bitcoin maxi crowd. And you really just used it as like this four square of all the the of all the globe trotting you were doing, of all the the, <laughs> the conferences you were going to to prove that you were there. Um, because it was clear that checking base social networks had product market fit. People love them. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Foursquare was a yeah. massive globally adopted application for a while until they somehow pivoted into something else. So we knew that it was something that people wanted. We still had to try it, but from the first day launch, from the from the day we launched in in February 19, there were strong signals that this was going to be a hit. And it became a hit quickly. Like we had people coming to our desk all the time, like I want my POAPs, how do I get my NFTs? Which conference do you have NFTs for? And and this is way prior to NFTs. Like even the concept of NFT was foreign. It was a foreign concept for most of the people at the Ethereum conference. But those that got it, they could clearly see that we were after something called. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I'll tell you right now, Patricio, that when I started to dig around in, in NFTs and, and DeFi. Well, I started kind of just poking around crypto about, you know, almost two years ago, that one of the first places I was sent in terms of just looking for utility was POAP, right? So you definitely, and it was from probably a lot of the people that you knew or that you had met over the time is that, you know, as just like a very, very uh, understandable, consumable application of what Ethereum could do, right? And how you could you have a far more efficient proof of something in in via the crypto via crypto um, at the so. time when when we launched we must have been one of the little handful applications of ethereum that had utility um these days you have plenty you have everything DeFi. you have plenty of nfts communities but when we launched it was a um, recurrent topic of conversation how POAP was bringing utility. And, and this is how we acquired the dominant position we have today. We were so early and we made so many influencers, early adopters of our product, that then when this kind of product is starting to be understood by, by the larger ecosystem, we had been here for a while. So, so timing was pretty cool. Um, I, we have to admit that the timing, if we were earlier, it wouldn't have worked. If we were later, I guess it would have been harder to achieve the degree of adoption we have today. So what have the last 12 months been like for you as, you know, everything has surged? Yeah, they've, they've been really tough because we had nice growth plans. We, we had a pretty beautif- beautifully laid uh, growth strategy. And a while ago, let's say in March of 2021, it clearly has fallen short and we had to start accommodating this uh, surge peak of demand of people wanting to mint POAPs, to collect POAPs, to build things on top of POAP. And from there we kind of went onto emergency mode and we were mostly putting out fires and accommodating all the interest that we started getting because we we had to do trade-offs, and, and let's say in, in, Mar- in November, December of 2020, with BPALs and CryptoPunks trading activity, the mainstream starts discovering NFTs. Um, 
some financial activity brings lots of gamblers and gamblers and speculators bring more media attention and media attention brings the mainstream so it became a snowball and we were in in a nice sweet spot where we had this product that you could use without paying anyone anything because we were already minting on on the xi network that didn't require gas and we were already very well positioned in many communities so it was only about time that we had tens and hundreds of issuers knocking our doors wanting to do pop-ups and we had to do this trade-off of what do we do do we keep building a platform that can scale organically responsibly and we tell these people that we are not ready to accommodate them or we try to scale as we can and we decided to scale because the opportunity was too good to not to not take it and we selected some higher profile issuers and we made, we made some good partnerships and that went well but for doing that we had to neglect many of fundamental needs of the product like on on software development and security and operations and hiring so the last 12 months were extremely exciting because we found a degree of validation that it is um, it is hard to find it's like not so many dApps had so much traction so quickly so easily without spending any money on marketing but at the same time our technology stack the whole ecosystem and and the different components that you need for pop-up to be successful weren't ready um, so now recently a couple of weeks ago we had to make the painful decision of um, putting some sort of cap on on the issuances we will be doing and and we aren't allowing many new uh, pop-up drops like like from new issuers because we need to get our shit straight first what a wild what a wild time i like how you talk about like february march it feels like it was so long ago and we say that so much in crypto but so much has happened since um i could say from the first time we've done the festival and used pop-up to these days it feels a different industry and when was the festival i guess people in this podcast know what the festival was right it was, yeah, the first Mintfest, it was uh, the first week of August. It was the first week of August. And that's that's just as, especially on the NFT side, that's just as uh, NFTs started to to have their, their kind of current bull run that's cooled off recently. But August this year was, if you use CryptoPunks as kind of the marker of um, NFT, the NFT adoption and NFT prices and, and volume, CryptoPunks went from a floor of about 25 Ethereum, I'd say, around the start of our festival, which was August 2nd or August 1st, to, uh, I think, a peak on August 30th, um, which is around when Bored Apes minted their mutants of about, CryptoPunks went from about 25 to 120 ETH going for. And August and, and parts of September were just insane. And so many new people came in and so much money came in. And you're right, it does it does feel like we're entering a completely different phase now, industry-wise. And that's just three, that's less than three months ago. Something, something fun that has happened with many of the participants of the fest was that for them, that those were, for the most part, their first pop-up. But now when someone is browsing random collections, 
you see people that have some pop-ups of sessions of that event, and now they also have pop-ups of Decentraland or the board tapes or from in-person events, and maybe even some may have what you would say they are completely unrelated pop-ups, because for example, some legacy businesses like the consultancy services and EY use POAP and you can see someone having a POAP from an online show and then from a super serious suits and tie event or from their <laughs> school or, or, or from <laughs> weddings. There, there are people using POAP for weddings and when you browse the different collections you, you can find like hidden gems and, and it does happen that if someone does some on-chain analytics you can see that for many of the first mean community members that got their POAP on the fest for the first time, maybe half of them already got another POAPs in different events out of the Flow ecosystem. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's it. And well, what I like even what you're describing about kind of looking back on that is that it's it's a whole new way of looking at somebody's like social proof, right? Whereas like in the past with Web2, you'd go look at someone's Facebook page or Instagram and you kind of look through like, okay, here's what they've done. Here's who their friends are. And, um, you know, obviously you can go on LinkedIn and see somebody's work experience. And, and even in the NFT space, you can look at somebody's wallet and say, oh, okay, they they have a board ape and they bought it for this much, or they have these and these NFTs. They, they've made their first purchase three years ago. So there are no G or whatever that is. But with POAP, it's like you can really see their interests and where they spend their time and where they, how they, what they prioritize almost, right? In terms of what they're doing in the space. Um, the way we explain this, like in, in technical BC word terminology, it's POAP, it's a decentralized checking based social network, and anyone can consume the data sets because the collectors have self-custody of their assets, so they get to decide whether you see them or not. They don't belong to Facebook, they don't belong to POAP. And the more events start using POAP, the greater the network effects are, like in Facebook. The more people started using Facebook or any social network or Twitter, any, any network-based business, the more participants it has, the more powerful it gets. Even, even things like Uber, that aren't even like a social network, they are an application, the more participants they have, the more efficient it gets because the more passengers you have, the more incentives are for drivers to go out and drive. And in POAP, we have been onboarding issuers from all sorts of life. So for example, um, the US Open, the tennis tournament, arguably the most important tennis tournament in America, had used POAP this year. And they had made a POAP for every game, and they were like 25 games. And there were a couple people that got POAP from the US Open and had POAP from crypto stuff. And it was like, this is how we blend the metaverse and the real world. And this is happening as we speak. Even in NFT NYC, there's like 60 events that are minting POAPs. And for, I'm sure for most of those collectors, those aren't going to be the first POAPs. Because if you are an NFT NYC, you are an, an NFT person, and you very likely got POAPs before. So it's a, this blend of mixing the metaverse with the real world is one of the most, the most exciting things that it is happening in the industry. Uh -huh. I love that. I love what you're saying about the US Open because then you get to see from like an open data standpoint how many people got their first POAP, but then you also get to see how many established crypto people were at the event and got the POAP as well, 
right? So you can see that like one out of every 10 PO apps, let's say at the US Open was was given to a wallet that already had quite a few others. Yeah, I, right? I can or had tell you, a PO app. Um, th this might be exciting for people showing the community feeling that they are early. Um, I can tell you only a rare amount of cases of the US Open POAPs had all older POAPs. This is so early, the mainstream hasn't discovered NFTs yet. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, it, it feels, you know, what's funny about working in NFTs is that it feels mainstream because everybody's so passionate and it feels like there's a lot of people and you can log on to Twitter at any time of day and there's so much action happening. But as soon as, I always tell people like, as soon as you leave your house, you walk down the street and you ask somebody about NFTs, like they think that you're crazy and that you're trying to scam them. Yeah, so we're very, very far it, it, still. Even the most successful projects, like let's say CryptoPunks and Bortapes, they have less than 5,000 holders each, I think. Well, that's it. Yeah. Well, most of the CryptoPunks are held by like the same like 200 people anyways, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. not even that many people that have them. Let's say other PFP projects, None of them had distributions that make you feel this is mainstream. Mainstream, it's uh, streamers with 10 million followers. There are plenty of streamers with 10 million followers. It's not that they, there are a couple. There are a long tail. And we are talking about 10,000 NFT drops, PFPs. That's it. That's it. I'm actually just, I just opened up the OpenSea rankings now of owners. And the top one right now is Zedrun with 34,000. But they also did like a huge like sign up and get a free horse drop a while back. Yeah, <laughs> so, and Zedrun is one of know. the most successful companies we have in the industry. Well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. But even then 34,000 people, it's like if you're if you're a tech startup, you know, if you've got 34,000 users, like yeah, that's, that's really. good, but you need more, a right? Anyone here who is somewhat into NFTs, but haven't got full into NFTs, what are you doing? This is the <laughs> sweetest time for getting into NFTs. It's, yes. it's even better than when I got it, because when I got into NFTs, we were 100 people, and we were pretty lonely, and the two years that we were building this thing, it was impossible. Like, we acquired users one by one, and, and we were exciting if we onboarded 10 new users. Um, so, so if you are not in the industry yet, but you are feeling that you should, Let's make clear that you shouldn't waste a minute. This is, this is the FOMO I had in 2015, 16, 17. If you, didn't, if you are not having this FOMO now, you have to recheck how you are measuring the potential of these things. <laughs> I, you know, that's it. It's like I, I spend as much time as I can, uh, Patricio, like, consuming NFTs, trying to build in NFTs, building our, our community and our audience and everything. And I still have FOMO. Like even when I'm like, I'm going to take a 30 minute break and like work out or spend time with my family. I just start thinking about it. Then I open my phone and I see something on Twitter and I'm like, shit, shit, I need to. And then I have these ideas for other things that we could build. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's beautiful, but it's painful at the same time, honestly. Uh, FOMO management it's one of the most <laughs> valuable skills that someone can have these days. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, um, we can make this easier yeah. for, for oh. the audience to get into NFTs. Because in POAP, although we are already a 50-people team, we have, we have acquired plenty of employees recently, we are still aggressively hiring. And we are hiring for non-technical uh, positions like business development and sales and key account management. So if you were, or if you are a key account manager in an established business, ideally in tech, and you want to work on NFTs, 
maybe you can come work for POAP and help us do much more than, than the US Open. And maybe we can do all NFL and every other sport or maybe NBA. We have brands of all size, including most of the top tier brands, knocking on our doors, wanting to use POAP, and we don't have the bandwidth for serving them. So, so uh, anyone listening here, feel free to find me on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. On Twitter. <laughs> that's it. On Twitter. Don't, yeah, that's, it. that's the spot to... I always tell people it's like they have to convert the way they think they do business if they want to work in crypto is oh, that most yeah. of it, most of it is, and even Patricio between you and I is just like our, our relationship is like, yeah, late night DMS is on discord is like most, most of how business deals get done. I, I mean, <laughs> is, is it any other way? Not in crypto. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's not, uh, this is not you and me. This is the industry. If you're going to make it, you need to switch your mindset. It's not so much about the Slack. It's not so much about email. It's Twitter and discord. Let's talk about New York. You were saying there's going to be over 60 different apps for that are building POAPs, that are making POAPs for, for New York? Um, the whole NFT NYC thing has clearly overshooted expectations of everyone, including the organizers of the event, the sponsors, the dev developers like us. We didn't expect this to happen like this. NFT NYC is an event that's been happening for years. It was already on the cards that we were going to have NFT NYC as soon as the pandemic was over. What it wasn't on the cards, it was that it was going to be the event in the year and it was going to have 10 times more than the expected capacity. So on one hand, this is extremely exciting. On the other hand, it is going to be extremely hard to get anything done because there's so much excitement it's going to be the first opportunity for most of the relevant NFT actors to be under the same roof or at least in the same city. So my suggestion for anyone around is carve your enthusiasm, keep yourself um, healthy and try to not get too much FOMO. Because if, for example, you are trying to collect all the pops of the treasure hunt, it might be too stressful. Um, there might be too many, too far away. You better know what you are after, know who you want to meet <laughs> and focus on that because there's going to be 20 times more things to do what you can actually do. And if you are jumping ships here and there, you may end up not enjoying it. So, so you better relax, try to have a good time, get some pow-ups. It shouldn't be too hard. There should be pop-up on almost every place you go. If you go to an event and it doesn't have pop-up and it is an NFT event, you have to file a complaint with the organizer like, I came <laughs> here and there's no pop-up. I should have been elsewhere. Um, but I don't think there would be too many. And given mm -hmm. the inbound we are seeing and the things we are putting together, it does look like all the top events are using pop-up. And not only the top, the long tail shoe. Uh, but yeah, for NFT NYC, expect... Um, a huge information overload and be prepared to do a conscious resource management, mainly time. Um, figure out what you want to do because if you want to go with the tide, it, you may end up being on a weird wheel. How many POAPs are part of the treasure hunt specifically? That's what people got to keep in mind. That's, that's where they got to go looking for them. Everything else they can chill but they're after the treasure hunt ones. That's what we want. It, it is a moving target um, because the treasure hunt is 
quite experimental. We haven't done anything like this at this scale. It is too ambitious because we want to have like 20 locations, but some locations are like private business, like maybe a bakery or a bar. Some others are maybe a graffiti on a wall or a mural. Others are on the event itself. And we see that there are, given the how clunky the technology is, if you are in NFTs, you know that these things are clunky. Only rarely things go well. Even, even in the Flow ecosystem, which is a somewhat good ecosystem, it happened 20 times that thing had crashed. So in the treasure hunt, I advise people to be patient. I suggest you to uh, acknowledge that this is experimental. If you come and title to say, I have been to this location and the POAB is gone because someone had removed the poster from the wall, we will tell you <laughs> we are very sorry. This is game theory because you know what happens if you went to the location that is the furthest away and you got the POAB, then you are somehow incentivized to remove the POAB so other people mm. cannot get it and you have higher chances of winning. Patricio, don't give people ideas, yeah, man. So, don't so tell people. We are kind of. <laughs> don't pe don't tell people how to sabotage others. We are scared about this thing because at this <laughs> scale, it could yeah. be really hard to put together. But we have people on the ground that are supposed to be with bicycles and scooters uh, visiting the locations to confirm that the pops are there. Um, but it's also good, a good opportunity to say what we wanted to do with this. What we wanted to do with the treasure hunt was to come up with a use case of utility that nobody has done before, that has real-world application that can be replicated in any city. There are people from multiple cities from all around the world, like from LA to Tokyo, that want to do their POAP treasure hunts. And, and we tell them, you're welcome to do it. We can even help you, but this is permissionless. Uh, you don't need our permission or authorization. So this is mostly a proof of concept. It is good to set expectations to something that is highly experimental. We still want it to be fun. We have some secret drops that we haven't mentioned. Some of the prices are also quite cool. Like there are plenty of prices, but it's just for fun. It is for this idea that maybe you get a couple pop-up from the hunt. You didn't win anything, but you still have a nice uh, item to help you recollect this 10 years in time once you are on your NFT mention because you had a stupid NFT that you were dropped these days. <laughs> Man, oh, I, hold on. I got to rewind to what you're saying about you're going to have a team on scooters making sure that people aren't destroying POAP codes? Putting, putting together this treasure hunt has been a huge lifting on, on resources because we are not fooling okay. around. Like We want to get this right. And, and we had like 29,000 followers on Twitter and they are all constantly asking about the treasure hunt so we don't want to let <laughs> them down. So yeah, yeah. This, is, this is serious business. It's still highly likely that there will be problems, but we are taking this dead seriously. Um, also for, for the moving targets and the locations, Twitter is in fact the place to know the latest. Like let's say that some location get constantly terrorized and we move the location elsewhere, we will announce it there. Also, there can be some spontaneous drops, like there are some sponsors that don't know where they will be. Even one of them, I think, has a moving vehicle that will be around Manhattan and you have to scan the QR code on the vehicle. And, and this is going to be announced on Twitter. This is some sort of alpha leak. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, this won't be, I mean, we're not going to roll this until 
the first day of well, the it, festival, it, anyways, it, of the conference. It, so it's supposed to last for like four. So so it's a good. Well, yeah. it, it, so they'll have time. People are going to have time, man. It's fine. Yeah, it's and and hopefully. again, this is for fun. We aren't making any commitment. If if end up going badly, we will apologize and say we fucked up. We will do better next time. <laughs> it's okay, man. This this conference, I think, is going to be pure chaos. And I like your advice from the start of just like just relax, have fun, like meet people. Don't don't take things too seriously. So I think I think people need to approach the yeah, treasure hunt with that same don't mentality. Bring your that wallets. Um, that, that's an important one. Don't bring your wallets because you are all easy targets. Like, like very easy targets. You all look like <laughs> yeah. if if I were a criminal. Um, you, you have all the checks that I want to rob you. Well, yeah, especially if you're wearing like a board ape shirt that you can only get by owning a board ape. That's a that's a pretty easy target. Yeah, and, and it is for, New York for, City. For people. Like, yes, it is. It is a fascinating place, but safety is somewhat a concern. So don't don't go with your phones like flashing too much. Um, don't and, dress too well. Dress like the same way that you do at home when you're working on NFTs, just in your like, pajamas and sweatshirts and stuff. No, but, but seriously, um, there are people that have their wealth on their mobile phones and, and it's a good wake up call. Don't bring like don't bring phones that have too much money on their wallets. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, exactly. Put put things in your ledger or wherever you keep it beforehand and leave that part at home and only bring your your whatever you have with maybe just a little bit of ETH in there so you can buy a couple things. But otherwise, you know, leave a lot of that at home. Yeah, so that's I'm great. Tried, that's great advice. I try to exercise your FOMO management um, because it's <laughs> going to be peak FOMO. Yeah, it is. It like, really like, is. They, they, really are, is. they are overlapping parties that I don't know mm -hmm. why. Uh, what I'm going to do, like like top tier parties that I'm invited, <sighs> and yeah. like both are equally good. And you know what? It's likely that I end up going to none. Because something else is going to pop up in the meantime. Well, well, that's it. You're going to be busy managing the POAP treasure hunt, man. There's no time for parties for you, Patricia. Well, you I, need to I, make I sure that. I hope not. Um, the, the treasure <laughs> hunt has its own team. And, and I kind of told them that I was going to be hands off. Um, and yeah. early on, yeah. it was like, like to this team, I told them if you think that you need my help for making this a success, we call it off. And, and they were, no, no, we, we still want to do it. So, so they are doing it without me. Um, on, on my own form of management strategy, I had to be hands off of lots of stuff that I would love to be involved. What are the prizes for the treasure hunt? That's probably the part we want to know. The top prize, the most exciting thing, and I have endless appreciation to him, is provided by Snowfro. Snowfro is a one of a kind in this industry because he's a talented software developer, but he's also an art person. And there's no much overlap on these things. Like normally you have art people like the artist and they are making lots of money. Like you have, for, let's say, Fiosius. And although I don't know Fiosius too well, I'm sure he doesn't some shack shit about software development. While then you have the software developers doing great things that they don't have too much of an artistic sense. But Snowfro is one of a kind because he's been deep in art for a long time and he knows a lot about software development. So he has created Artblocks, which is a fascinating platform. It's not the most fascinating one uh, besides POAP. And he had offered to raffle 
a Chromie Squiggle, which is like his first creation. Um, Chromie Squiggles have stopped being mint a while ago, and now they are only mint on special occasions, and there's only going to be 10,000, and sometimes they sell for like hundreds of ether, and he has generally offered uh, one to be for the winner of this thing, and the way the raffle works, the more POAPs you have, the higher your chances are of winning, but anyone can participate. It doesn't matter if you didn't have a ticket for NFT NYC, it doesn't matter uh, who you are, we, you, we don't even need to know who you are, because the price, the, the random number generation happens on chain, so, so it's a pretty transparent process. Uh, so that's the top price. Then there are some other cool prices by BlizzardDAO. Uh, BlizzardDAO is this crazy entity that has been buying millions and millions uh, of dollars worth of NFTs, uh, like uh, the Edward Snowden NFT and, and other super coveted ones. And they have a close relationship with this artist called People Pleaser, who's a woman out of New York. And she's done the cover of the Fortune magazine or something like that, and they had put for price a couple issues of that magazine with an autograph by her, which is a pretty nice item. Um, so there's that. And there are some other sponsors that uh, I don't have in mind now, but just the Snowfrog piece, the grand prize, it's very well worth getting the power-ups. And um, as I said, this is, this is a proof of concept. We didn't want to have, at a point we discussed, do we put a financial price or our, of our own or something? And we were like, let's keep this fun. Let's keep this an experiment. We don't need to pervert it too much. So, so we didn't want to make this a degenerate gambling friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're going to turn some people it, it, it into kinda that happened, with such nice yeah. prizes. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it ended up happening. We didn't want it to be like this, but also we had this generous offer by Snowfro, who, if he's listening or, or if someone has access to him, let him know again that we are extremely grateful. And, and it's a still, it's another way of doing the experiment. Like, we could have a low-profile experiment or now a high-profile experiment. And, and in any case... It's going to be useful. So the best way for people to get these POAPs, Patricio, because again, there, there could be a lot of people, Let's there could be some who this is their first POAP. Should they be downloading the app and being ready with the app? Um, definitely, not only that, um, get the app, follow us on Twitter, check our social media, and maybe you want to check our Discord, uh, try to get some POAPs prior so you get familiar with the thing because we made POAP the easiest and friendliest it could be done but there is a still a learning curve. Um, maybe you want to check POAPs in OpenSea, you don't need to acquire anyone, but you can see that some are being sold and, and you can see what other POAPs are there. And, and the plenty of products on the POAP ecosystem and POAP fan, which is going to be part of the raffle. So yes, if you are after the treasure hunt and, and if this is going to be live on the first day of the event, try to make the time to understand POAP better to check that you have the latest application because we are rolling out new apps all the time and this is going to reduce your stress levels and likely to give you a smoother experience. Uh, yes, thank you for asking these questions. It's quite important that you better be up to speed with PowUp. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, okay, good to know. Um, last question for you, Patricio, because I mean, it sounds like after all this, like we know where PowUp is coming from, where it started, and, and now we know we have everything we need to be ready for New York. 
after New York, you're organizing this, you know, there's this massive treasure hunt. Basically, to me, that speaks to the idea of, you know, the, the city of New York should be interested in that because you're basically going to have people running all over the place discovering new places. What's what what is the future of POAP? Like, how do you want people to use and to build on POAP? Um, yeah, this is quite important because our plans are so ambitious that I kind of like to present them well. Uh, I don't want just people to guess them. I mean, you can guess them right, but if you hear it from me or from someone from our team, it's going to make it easier to confirm how far we are making this goal. In POAP, we are building a protocol. We aren't building a company or a product. And the ability to make treasure hands it's only one of the things you could do with the protocol. But this protocol can also do things like private chat channels for, for example, what we are calling these days POAP-based Tinder. Because if you go to a bar and you get a POAP and then the bar has a private Discord channel only for people that have that POAP, maybe you start chatting with someone that you know is at the venue, but you don't know who they are, and, and you, don't know get who, yeah, like you don't know how they look like, and maybe you establish a meaningful conversation about the music or whatever, and you move on to that. And that's another application that could be built on POAP, and there are voting systems and games and reputation, so it's not that we are building a treasure hunt, we want to build a lower layer, a piece of software that anyone can use for building treasure hunts whenever they want. Like in, in national parks, in different cities, maybe around the world, someone with lots of ambition can make a treasure hunt where you have to travel to different places. Or, or like in Europe, where you can take a train and be in London in the morning and in Paris in the afternoon and in Berlin the next day. So the ambition of POAP and what we are building it's a protocol that anyone can use to build these great experiences like treasure hunt games, um, gamification, things, reputation, gating, community engagement. This checking-based social network for anyone to use, respecting their privacy preferences because we don't get to know who you are. We don't know anything about you. You just use your NFT and maybe you put them on OpenSea and nobody can stop you. And for this vision to materialize, we will need help. So again, if you like POAP, if you like this future, join us in any capacity. You can be a member on our Discord. You can be a team member on our core team. You can run a business that uses POAP. This is a nice business model that it's worth mentioning. There are companies making money using POAP in ways that they know better than us. And we don't even know. There are wedding planners giving POAP NFTs to people that attend weddings because, of course, it's, it's likely the most important day on, on, on the lifestyle of many. And they sell the POAPs or they sell the service of having the POAP set up or whatever. And we are welcoming these kind of ventures. So if you have a marketing agency, if you work on innovation at any company and you want to engage better with POAP to be at the forefront of social dynamics, uh, join our community and there will be plenty of tools to make things that nobody has ever done that are extremely cool that are going to be commonplace in 25 years. I like that a lot. I've always felt like POAP could really redefine the way we travel and tourism. 
Uh, right. It, so it's great to hear you kind of speak to that, right? Like you're saying national parks or whatever, because one of the most exciting things that people do with travel retroactively is say like, hey, I've been to this place. I've been to this place. I've been to this place. And you're already kind of seeing that with POAPs in terms of which crypto events people have attended. But in the future, you know, it's one thing to sit there and tell people like, hey, like, hey, I, I've been to uh, I've been to Germany and I've been to Japan, you know, or whatever. Um, and it's another thing to just show them your POAPs. And, and, right and be like look i've been to the louvre and, and it's still the tip of the, the iceberg. great wall um, yeah the, the case of just a basic collective for remembering where you were it's a tip of the iceberg because once you have utility there are for example DeFi protocols that will give you a preferred borrowing rate the more pop you have so if you have traveled a lot and you are conscious about your pop collection you want to preserve it maybe you put it as collateral and you can get a loan because the lender can very well assume that you want your POAPs back. You're not going to default your loan if you're putting hard-earned POAPs. So it's not just about remembering where you were. We, we say POAP is an ecosystem for the preservation of memories, but it is much more than that. It's a deep rabbit hole. Um, those that like it should totally come to our Discord where we had these experimental conversations because the scope, the design space, it's as far as anyone's imagination. I love that. With that, I think we can wrap out. Patricio, thanks for coming on the show. I'm very excited for, I mean, when this drops, I'll, I'll be on my way to New York. So I'm very excited to, to be there and to, to meet you as well in person. Um, and personally, to go running around finding these POAPs because... We've talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of world-changing stuff here, and and I think one of the most beautiful things about NFTs and crypto is that you can you can be excited about the long-term future, but also enjoy the day-to-day, minute-to-minute. And this will be my first real-life conference, my first time meeting people for real. I've I've met a handful of people in real life from crypto, but never at a conference or anything like that. And very excited to see how how this experience will translate to real life and transcend the metaverse. Um, I can tell you it's going to be much more than what you expect, but you will see it on your own. Very happy and honored to have the opportunity to present POAB and my story to this community and see you in the metaverse. Thanks, Patricio. is going to do it for us today folks again our programming may be a little bit different a little bit slower but we'll still be covering top shot and all the other goodies on twitter this week so keep an eye out for that otherwise we'll see you next time on the first minute